funky new normal. Okay, welcome everybody online and here in the room. There's a bicycle race over in India that the object is to go the shortest distance possible. It's a funny race. At the start of the race, everybody gets on the line, and when the gun goes off, the cyclists, best they can, stay put. Contestants are disqualified if they tip over or if their foot touches the ground. They inch forward as little as possible, trying to keep the bike balanced, and when the designated time is up, another gun goes off, and the person still closest to the starting line wins. Can you imagine such a race? Can you imagine, worse yet, getting involved in a race like that and not knowing the rules? <laughs> I mean, you barely get going, and you've already lost. There's no way. You're, there's no way that people are going to catch up to you at that point. Following Jesus and discovering the way he views life and how to live life is so much different than the world's rules. It's so, the objective is different. Jesus challenged the kingdoms of people and all of our value systems that we hold so dear. And Jesus' worldview is in many times in radical opposition to the natural thinking of our world and culture. And nowhere does this alternate viewpoint become more clear than in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And this profound teaching is shocking from the very first thing Jesus says. In fact, the interpreter's Bible commentary, one of my favorites, look how it tries to set up this, this section of Scripture before Jesus even starts getting into it. Look at the screen. The Beatitudes, far from being, for those of you who haven't read this part, the Beatitudes are the first eight or nine different principles that Jesus presents as he stands up and the people, he's on this mountain and he's presenting this truth. They're called the Beatitudes. So here you go. The Beatitudes, far from being passive or mild, are a gauntlet flung down from before the world's accepted standards. Thus they become clearer when set against their opposites. The opposite of poor in spirit are the proud in spirit. The opposite of those who mourn are the light-headed, always bent on pleasure. The opposite of the meek are the aggressors. The opposite of the persecuted are those who always play it safe. Jesus' understanding of a blessed life and the world's idea of a blessed life are in direct conflict, which brings up a point. If you're going to be a Jesus follower and yet still live by the standards of the world, your life is going to be, you're going to need to see Libby. It's going to be schizophrenic. It's going to be messed up. Because they don't jive. They don't come together. And so many people that claim to be a, a Christ follower and live by the, st the standard of the world, well, they just send mixed signals. And people that are trying to become to decide whether or not to become Jesus followers, they look at that and they think, well, I just don't know where that person is. They're all over the map. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That very first word is a Greek word that has an amazing meaning. The theologian William Barclay explains. Look at your screens. Blessed describes that joy which has its secret 
within itself, that joy which is serene and untouchable and self-contained, completely independent of all the chances and changes of life. So Jesus begins by saying, I'm about to describe a blessed life, and this blessed life has absolutely nothing to do with chance or situation or especially situational ethics. It has nothing to do with physical health. It has nothing to do with physical wealth. It has nothing to do with earthly recognition. It's a blessing from God based on His kingdom, an eternal kingdom where He is the source of everything good, pleasing, and perfect. And this blessed by God life begins with admitting my own poverty of spirit. Look, since God is the only source of all things good, pleasing, and perfect, you don't need to take that at my word. You need to take that at His word. And since He's the one that made you, His word can be trusted. Since He is the only source of all things good, pleasing, and perfect, then we all are at a loss to find those things on our own. Anything of the Spirit is only found in and by the Spirit. This isn't something that we generate. Left to myself in matters pertaining to the Spirit, I am destitute and left to begging. Now hang on to that. I'm destitute and I'm left to begging when it pertains to matters of the Spirit. Jesus said, you want to receive and live a blessed life that is never affected by anything in this broken world? Then begin by admitting and embracing your own spiritual poverty. So spiritually thinking, this is now my mindset. Okay, spiritually speaking, I can't pay the bill. Spiritually speaking, I can't dig myself out of the hole that I put myself in because of my sin. Spiritually speaking, I can't take care of myself. Spiritually speaking, I can't fix my problems. I can't put what's broken back together. I can't turn things around. I, I, can't, I can't get past it. Jesus says, in the movement, I'm sorry, I can't read my notes. In the moment, in the moment we realize and declare our own spiritual bankruptcy, God's blessing comes pouring in. Now, did you know that the self-help movement in America is a $10 billion industry with more than 45,000 self-help books? Did you know it was that big? I mean, we all go in Barnes & Noble and we see that section, but did you know it was that widespread? Why so much money and resources in that? Because everything offered without God only provides a temporary source of blessing. Now, I'm not taking away from the self-help section because there are a lot of good self-help books that help you start getting help. The problem is when we try humanity's self-help ideas, the blessing that they offer, when you try it, it helps for a bit, but it never lasts. That's why they write another one. And that's why you do that and you think, oh, there's a blessing there. But it doesn't last. It helps for a bit. How many times have you tried something, a new habit or some physical thing, and it just make a difference a little, but it doesn't go on. 
It fails to tap into the eternal source. Leonard Sweet, in his book, Jesus Drives Me Crazy, isn't that a great title? Look what he says. Christianity invites us to live an intuitively counterintuitive life. The lifted up one, the one who sits high and walks low, ta taught that the thoroughfare to God is full of by paths and back roads. Look at these bullets. The way up is down. The way in is out. The way first is last. The way of success is service. The way of attainment is relinquishment. The way of strength is weakness. The way of security is vulnerability. The way of protection is forgiveness, even up to 70 times 7. 7 times 70. The way of life is death. Death to self, society, family. Know your strengths. Why? Because that's the only way you can lay them down. God's power is made perfect. Where? In our weakness. Want to get the most? Go to where the least are. Want to be free? Give complete control to God. Want to become great? Become least. Want to find yourself? Forget yourself. Want honor? Honor yourself with humility. Want to get even? Even with your enemies? Bless, love, and pray for them. When Jesus said that the poor in spirit would be the blessed ones, it really was a crazy thing to say that flies in the face of everything that we find natural in the earthly existence. Max Licato adds to this baffling word. Look how he puts it. It's an acknowledgement of moral destitution, an admission of inward poverty. Those who taste God's presence have declared spiritual bankruptcy and are aware of their spiritual crises. Their cupboards are bare. Their pockets are empty. Their options are gone. They have long since stopped demanding justice. They are pleading for mercy. They don't brag. They beg. Pascal was the one who said, look again at the screen, there are only two kinds of men, the righteous who believe themselves sinners, the rest, sinners who believe themselves righteous. Andrew Tate put in his two cents, look at this, those who are conscious of their own frailties and imperfections, who renounce all dependence on themselves and all pretension to merit and weary and heavy laden, cast themselves at the feet of Christ for mercy. You guys, this really is a different way to live. And it's so unique from the religions of the world. Dane Ortland, in his book Defiant Grace, explains the different major religions. Look at this quote. The ancient Greeks told us to be moderate by knowing our inclinations. The Romans told us to be strong by ordering our lives. Buddhism tells us to be disillusioned by annihilating our consciousness. Hinduism tells us to be absorbed by merging our souls. Islam tells us to be submissive by subjecting our wills. Gnosticism tells us to be at peace by ignoring our doubts. Moralism tells us to be good by discharging our obligations. Only the gospel tells us to be free by acknowledging our failure. Christianity is the unreligion because it is the one faith whose founder tells us to bring not our doing, 
but our need. I am not like you. You are holy. You are different than anything else around me, especially in me. Humility. It's the key to living the blessed life. As a young man, Benjamin Franklin once visited a Puritan preacher named Cotton Mather. And Franklin said that he learned an important lesson in that visit. Mather was showing Franklin out of the house. And before they got out, there was a very low beam near the doorway. And Franklin was just walking and talking, and Mather began interrupting him and shouting, Stoop! Stoop! Well, Franklin didn't understand what Mather meant until he banged his head on the beam. And then Mather said to Benjamin Franklin, You're young and have the world before you. Stoop as you go through it, and you'll avoid many hard bumps. Years later, Franklin commented, That advice has been very useful to me. I avoided many misfortunes by not carrying my head too high in pride. So this is where Jesus begins his most famous teaching, his most famous sermon. Look at the screens. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Great blessings belong to those who know they are spiritually in need. God's kingdom belongs to them. God blesses those people who depend only on Him. They belong to the kingdom of heaven. What happiness comes to you when you feel your spiritual poverty? For yours is the realm of heaven's kingdom. Jesus says, start here. This is your block that you shoot out of. I'm, I'm, about to, I'm about to shoot the gun. If you say you want to follow me, this is where you begin. And this is the objective of this race. There are a lot of different objectives in different races. But Jesus says, my objective for you in following me starts here. Admit your need, your every hour need, that your only defense for righteousness is found in your every hour need of God. All right, let's dedicate this. Father, I imagine that when Jesus first spoke these words, there was utter shock that riddled through the crowd. You want the real blessed life? And admit that you've got nothing spiritually and you are completely dependent on the Father. That just flies in the face of what we're taught. We're taught to get what we earn, earn what we get rather, and to stand up for ourselves, to be self-reliant. So Jesus' world, words fall fall on ears of people who have been taught differently. Change us, Father. And we're going to sing that very thing in this song. Let us begin walking with you with greater understanding, with greater insight, with greater wisdom, with greater discernment. In Jesus we pray.
okay. Stand up and pour out your heart. Let's see.